spinning back to the open side. Karim Bete, Optical here for Samu, who's quick. Pete Samu looking for Karim Bete. Back to Samu. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that is played in heaven. My name is Ando, with me is Mitch, and we're incredibly excited to have the head coach of the Western Force, Simon Cron, with us here tonight. Simon, how are you? How has your Tuesday been? Uh, busy. Busy Tuesday. Um, the boys went, obviously, this morning we had uh, team meetings, units, and then uh, team, and then straight into uh, training and then back into rugby brains and then back into the gym so she's been a uh, a busy morning a busy day can i just ask what are those rugby brains i kind of know everything else that you're speaking about but is that a kind of informal meeting sharing of minds what, what what's rugby brains uh rugby brains is just where we are upskilling our rugby brains as a team so um we'll cover a topic or a like today, we went outside and we walked through some things that um, you know we didn't do as well on field uh, earlier in the day, just around some timing and some understanding of what it looks like. So, for example, today one of the things we're covering is our P1 and P2 engagement, which is our ball players, making sure they're engaged on a forward shape. And so we walked, just walked, and we talked about why it's so important for us and how it prevents double shoulders and all these things around forward shapes. So we walked through that. Then we just walked out and the forwards. Um, did some forward spacing on lineouts, so they have to do the right spacings. Otherwise, the hooker changes his throw, and da da da. So they just walk, and we talk why it's important, and we fix it, and we make sure they're right. Um, so it's just rugby brains, just constantly yeah, working on the small parts of our game. Yeah, really interesting. Well, um, why don't we jump into mm. things? Uh, because it was, it, firstly, thank you so much for coming on and giving us your time tonight. It's a really uh, key part of the season. We're basically halfway through the season and we're trying to get in touch with as many coaches as possible. But we really wanted to have a chat with you because the Western Forces season has been a pretty interesting one so far in that um, you started off with two out of your three home games being won before you then went on a road for a Kiwi tour and finishing off with the match on the weekend against the Waratahs and unfortunately didn't get a win on that tour. So right here, right now, as you're sitting at the end of a pretty long Tuesday after flying home from Sydney, how are you kind of reflecting and feeling about where the team is at this point within the season? Oh, look, you're always frustrated. Uh, you know, you, you want to win everything. Like right now, you want to be here and having all those wins uh, and we're not. But um, look, the key thing for us at the moment, you're right, we've, we've won two, our two home games and, and the away games we haven't right now. Um, but the key thing for our team is to build the capacity to win and, and to build the capacity to win, we've got to make sure that we grow the way we play, um, every member of the squad, the depth of the squad, all of the things that we need to do to get performance to win. Um, so, you know, we have to have a real focus on those things. Now, you've also got to, we've also got to be really clear around what success looks like for us and success looks like not making the same error twice, making mm -hmm. sure we grow and develop better, making sure that when we are uh, on field that we're not uh, turning the ball over as easy. So, you know, there's a heap of stuff in our game that we need to keep working on. And I suppose the key thing as a coach right now is you've got to look at the critical few and, and making sure that we do those things. 
Yep. Now, looking at it from my view, and I mentioned earlier before the pod, apologies, I'm a Waratahs fan, but during the match against the Tars on the weekend, it looked as though perhaps maybe there was a bit of tiredness coming into the team. The Force didn't have what I would come to assume is their usual combativeness and incisiveness that I've come to really respect and admire them for. Do you think it was maybe the long a long tour away from home there was some other element to it. What do you think were some of the factors that led into a performance that probably wasn't at the standard that you were hoping for from the team against the Tars? No, I, I agree. Our performance on the weekend, and I probably said in the media afterwards, was 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 not our best. It was probably one of our worst. Now, a couple of things um, that you can live off really simply is at 50 minutes into the game, they've had 65% territory and 65% possession. So what does that mean? It means we're giving them the ball far too easily and we're not controlling territory. So... Um, a couple of things we did in that first 20 minutes is we gave away, you know, seven penalties uh, offside on ball. And we actually defended our line really, really well, but we were giving them the ball so frequently that it was easy for them to stay in that half. Then in terms of execution, but uh, let's look at it. Three minutes, two minutes before half time. I think it's 17-6. Now, we know in the second half we can come at them. Uh, Strawny, we get a ball on a counter-attack and we end up trying to chip it through, which was, you know, a, a wrong decision by us. And Jake Gordon picks it up and goes the other way and scores. Earlier in the game, we go down the left edge and we're one pass away from scoring. And all it was was us getting in a position to receive the pass faster. So, so, so there's small little parts of our game that there's 14 points. Later in the game, down the left edge, Spinky makes a break and Manasta throws the ball and doesn't go to hand. So we didn't finish our hands. So there's another, you know, so there's little parts of our game. And I don't think they were fatigued. Like we were in the com- we were in the we were in the contact, we were in the game. Now one of the things for me is early in that game, twenty seconds in, our first five takes a big head knock, which has obviously come out yep. publicly now. And he gets HIA. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back on that, he probably shouldn't have I don't know, we'll we'll look into how he passed that HIA. Um, got back on the field, great kid. Uh <laughs> I have, a, I have a young leadership group on that field at this point. Um, now, post-game, they said to me, Chrono, um, Jake was not not uh, verbal with us. So your first five's in charge yep. of all your calls. He comes to yep. you, calls your pattern, calls your structure. Now, uh, Strawny wasn't doing that. So I said to my young leadership group, uh, I said, boy, you need to tell me that. I need to, I need to mm. know that our team is mm-hmm. non-verbal in terms of his communication to us. Um, and so I can look after him. And so I can look after the team by putting somebody out there who who can run the game. Now, um, the hard part about that is when I watch the tape, you do pick up that Strawny's not quite in the front line most of that seven mm-hmm. minutes. Um, now, I know that people have come out and said, oh, he didn't play that well. Well, wait a minute. That boy's just taken a direct hit to the head um, mm-hmm. and is suffering from concussion symptoms, so therefore he got pulled just a bit late in the game for us, you know? Um, and then when, yeah. you, when you watch the game, you can see the lack of cohesion f- for us around that first receiver. So uh, long story short, no excuse, but I think we, you know, there's a lot of areas that we could have done better, but that's one area that we couldn't, um, you know, we, we didn't pick up on uh, in terms of how he was, and we should have been yep. better there as coaches. Did he um, lose consciousness game, after that hit? He went straight down. So, so, yeah. so everybody, we, every, we all saw it. And we were like, is he okay? Yeah, I saw it as up. well. I was in the stands. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody saw it. Everybody saw it. So for me, I'm like, okay. But they got up after three seconds. They they took a while to get him off. 
the, the match day doctor saw it, so they HIA'd him. And then we kind of move on and then they come back to us and say he's passed his HIA, he's going back on after 12 minutes or whatever, and he goes back on. Now, I was, what, what are we doing? Why is our line out so slow to set? You know, why, why are we not in the line? And then the line out leader after says, oh, because we've got no call, so we're trying to wait for a call. And I'm like, okay, that's the why. Um, whereas we're saying get faster to the line out. So, um, you know, his symptoms then came on pretty hard and, and we needed to get him off. Mm. And we should have really got him off earlier. Yeah, so, so purely but, just out of interest. Sorry, you, you go. You game, go. When you look at the game, um, we gave them too much ball too easily. We didn't control territory well. Even when we got penalties, we kicked 10 metres, 12 metres. We didn't get into the corners. Um, we got down there and one of our players stops hoops from throwing the ball in, which is rugby brains. Like, you can't do that. Uh, so so long story short, we, 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 we can be better. We should have been better and we had a chance to win that game. Hmm. Yeah, I was just going to jump in there and ask, um, and please hear me right, I'm not trying to blame, I'm just wanting to get an understanding of kind of the leadership structures within a team. Uh, are you able to share who those, who the leadership group are on the field that are kind of helping within that decision-making process? Well, I mean, real, um, so Jimmy Williams, he's our line-out caller and line-out leader in that group at this time, because Wales is not on the field, so he's 22 years old. So he's, he's your, he's your line-out caller. Uh, he's your five, so he's a, he's a leader in that group. Um, uh, obviously, Robbo, as a lucid prop, he's experienced and he's out here. You know, we had one wallaby, they had 12. So we need to we need to make more wallabies. Um, mm. So Robbo would be a leader on that field. But Robbo is a, a prop, so he's, his head's often in the in the spokes, so to speak. But Jeremy Williams would be one that would be communicating with 10 a lot. Uh, and then outside of that, Hamish would be at 12. So he would also be one as vice captain to to relay, yeah, okay, we're not getting calls. Yeah, so, so they'd be the key guys on that field. Cool. So looking in a broader sense then, thanks for going into that detail around some of the nuance about the result on the weekend. Um, obviously, sitting at this point of the season, you've won uh, two games um, out of the seven, so two and five is where the guys are sitting, and currently 11th on the ladder with nine points. Searching for some of the positives, what are you pleased with from individual players and the team in a general sense of the way in which maybe they're growing or developing or listening to feedback? What, as a coach, is bringing you that positivity and energy for where the team is at and then in a moment I'll go well what are we looking to be improving moving forward uh, positive in energy is they are a, a great bunch of boys so so um, we have a completely new coaching staff apart from one 75% of the coach staff are new new S&C coaches and I think 20 something new players um, they are a great bunch of kids um, and we enjoy coaching them so and, and they work hard for you they work hard like even in that game you see them working hard the key thing for us is we need to grow the capacity and the knowledge to win games so and there's a process to that we, we've got to make them better rugby and making key decisions at key moments in games it's super rugby so um you know and i know one of the questions coming up is around development of players the average age of our squad is 22 or 23 at super rugby level so we're the youngest by a significant patch so for us the exciting thing is how much we can put into them. They're sponges. They love learning and they only know what they know. So um, for us, we often will learn things that they, they didn't know or they weren't sure of. Um, so and some of those things are things that, you know, ideally they'd learned years ago, but they haven't. So we, we, we need to teach them and we need to help them and we need to be better. So, you know, that's exciting. 
that, that keeps us motivated and, and, and we think that they'll be great in the future. So then with that opportunity or desire for them to be learning more and growing as kind of rugby brains, how are you as head coach communicating effectively and making sure that the message that they need to be hearing is the one that they're actually hearing and it's not getting lost amongst all the different coaches, assistant coaches, S&C information that's coming into their world? How do you, how do you clarify and narrow down the message for it to be meaningful and impactful? Yeah, good question. Um, you need to be aligned as a coaching group. So we do a lot of work, you know, we have a thousand things that we look at at the start, we have time to clips from the game, but we're going to deliver 11. So, so as a coaching group, we're all aligned around what are the critical few things that our players need to hear and learn to be better between Saturday and Saturday. So, so we get aligned on that, crystal clear. Also, there's no room for grey. We can't have grey. We can't have, oh, maybe, or maybe that we have to be pretty black and white around the things and we have to have some hard conversations. Um, and you know, some of the hard conversations from the weekend was around our discipline and giving away penalties. And we had some pretty hard conversations on that. And um, we showed every penalty and every time we gave away a penalty. So, um, you know, I think the messaging for us needs to be one of this is what we can learn. This are the fundamentals. This is what we don't want to have to cover again. So we do this every game. Uh, and then how do we get better? These are the couple of key things. And then lots of individual time. We do do a lot of individual coaching time with individual players because what we're finding in our group is that um, we have a lot of individual error uh, around knowledge or skill set. So we've got to make time, make time um, to spend time with those guys and help. So there's quite a bit going on. You mentioned before that you've got uh, a, a big mix of younger players coming through and then some of the older players, particularly some of the older players are out currently injured. What kind of role do those players that aren't making the match day 23 at the moment, whether through injury or just non-selection, what role do they have with the with their wider, younger squad? Well, it's a, it's a great question too, because at the moment, the area for us that hurt, hurts a bit uh, is to call it 2, 4, 5, 8, uh, 10, uh, in terms of the, the positions that are we, we've battled to keep the same people on the park. And, and for us, because there's so many new players, to build consistency, ideally, I would love to be picking the same team every week. But that's just not happening due to what you mentioned. We've got some guys with Achilles and you know the, our experienced players. So um, what we need to do is make sure they're engaged. Now, I had this catch up with them a couple of weeks ago because a couple of them, uh, you know, what happens, depending on where you've come through in terms of leadership, um, if you're not playing, some people, some players feel like, oh, I'm not playing, I can't have input. Wrong. If you're not playing, you can have a lot of input. But the way you have your input is you can, instead of giving the answers and saying this is what you should be doing, you can ask questions of people who are growing. So, for example, Michael Wells is an experienced, he's our captain, he's a great man. He can step forward and say, okay, Felix, in this position in the mall, why, do you, why did you stand up? And see whether he can give you the answer. And if he can't give the answer, you go sit next to him and you help him with the answer. So, they, so, so all of our guys can stay engaged all of the time. It's just how they do it. If they feel uncomfortable speaking too much because they're not playing, then there are ways in which they can still use their knowledge because they've earned the right to ask questions of people in the positions that are maybe making the error. So we've got, a few, we've got a bit of error in our group right now, and some of that error surprises you. So you've got to make sure that, okay, so this is the error. At mall time, for example, on the weekend, we collapsed them all. So we did everything right, and then one of our players was on the ball, and then he dropped his knees, collapsed them all. We got another penalty. 
we, we did everything right. Okay, so what were you think? Oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize X, Y, and Z. Okay, so we fixed that, we'd move on and we help. And then we put one of those leaders with him to help him with some of that stuff rather than just hearing our voice all the time. So they've got to be engaged. They have to be because they ultimately, when they come back, if they haven't been engaged, it's like introducing a new player. Yeah, so you, you've got to be engaged the whole time. Yeah. So that so for today, Falao was throwing it like. Sorry, no. Keep going with that. I was thinking ahead to the next question I'm going to ask. So you were saying about Falao? Sorry. Right. Yeah. So, so for, for, for example, today, you know, Falao couldn't fully train, but he can throw lineouts. Um, he couldn't scrum today. He didn't scrum today, but I said to him, "You are now watching my hookers while I watch my tight ends uh, bind." And Jimmy Duffy, you're on the back five. So, so you know, engaged the whole time, feedback, helping, um, and 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 because of the fact that they they aren't playing, they have to be engaged. And I know Rodo today was talking about defensive lineouts. So he's, you know, we've got to keep engaging them. And sometimes, and don't get me wrong, even the best leaders can step backwards sometimes. So I bring them back in and I just give them that one and we get back in the mixer. We did actually have the question come in about uh, Isaac Rodder and how his kind of return and rehab is going. Can you give us an update on him? Because obviously he would be a key player as one of your uh, probably most experienced and most capable, highly rated players. How's, how's his return to play going? Yeah, no, he's going well. Obviously it's been hard because um, when you look at the squad list, he's, he's, he's relatively important big five, you know, uh, but he, he had that um, stress fraction on his foot last year and it he got another stress fraction on his foot trying to return um, and apparently this is a common thing that happens on a return from this injury, but he's running now, so um, he's been running for a little bit now and he's, return, he's, he's, he's trying to work his way back. It's hard for me to tell you exactly when he's back because even medical, they go through this process, And um, but he's out there, he's on the field, he's running near the team now, which is good. So um, ideally we'll get him back at a point where I can use him, which would be nice. <laughs> that very much would be. Um, well, we might move on to a slightly different question and apologies, there's going to be a bit of a lead in into this question, but um, there have been a fair few questions and comments that have come in from our rugby community that we're a part of that are wanting to ask some questions about the composition of the team and, and the kind of broader or longer term direction that the team is taking. Because, um, I mean, for us from an outsider's or East Coast perspective, it looks like there has been an emphasis on short-term success over long-term growth. And, I mean, we can use some outside examples or outside of you examples of that being... Um, Many of the backline not being, say, Wallabies eligible or they're on short-term contracts like uh, Gareth Simpson, um, Zach Kiribiji, Chase Tiatia, Sam Spink and the like. We've had Jeremy Thrush called out of retirement, Raboni Warren-Vosiatha called in from the Tars. Tom Horton kind of appeared out of nowhere when we thought he was overseas after having left the Tars. Um Gareth Simpson got given a captaincy despite only being around for this year as well. And so there's just been a fair few questions around kind of what's the thinking and the process currently at the force um, in terms of their long-term direction for player signings. And has a lot of this been driven by injury or is it a part of a broader picture that we just don't have the insight into? Great question. Great question. So I'll help you. Thank you. So first, first and foremost, um, you've got to understand WA rugby and WA state. Now, I myself had to learn a lot. So to give you a quick understanding, in 2017, uh, the Western Force were removed from Super Rugby. Now, as part of that process of removed from Super Rugby, that 
hurt rugby in Western Australia. And what I mean by that is you had in 2017, you had a lot of uh, Western Australian rugby players playing uh, in Super Rugby. Then it was gone. So as a result of that, you remove a pathway. So a number of the guys coming through that pathway then left. So they went to the Eastern States, they went overseas, they played in England, Europe, Japan, everywhere else, apart from Western Australian rugby. Also, um, WA rugby, the premier competition changed from 10 teams to 13 teams because their main goal there was participation rather than performance. So as a result of that, you now got 13 teams competing in the premier competition. Now to give you a quick gauge on that, there's only nine in Brisbane and there's a group behind that. So you can imagine spreading the talent pool in WA to 13. Now they, that's the right thing to do at the time. Um, however, now they're trying to work that backwards. So only in 2021 did they come back into Super Rugby and at that point, they had 12 foreign players. So we only have eight right now. And we're, that's in line with what the AAU allow us to have. We're allowed eight. Now, then that's, there's a process to decreasing that as time goes on. So to, to give a quick understanding of that, what that looks like is that we need to create, we need to grow the game here again. We were at Newman College and, and we were training there and they used to have rugby posts and five rugby teams. Do you know how many they got now? Let's guess one, one no. two. No posts. No. So we, our job is a lot bigger than just to grow our job. We've got to grow the game here. All right. So, so we opened our doors. We've had over 40 coaches come through uh, our environment um, so that they can watch and learn. Uh, like I've been on tour for, like you mentioned, five weeks. I'll be presenting to referees at 6.30 on, on Friday night to help the referees in, in Western Australia. I hope that at some point I'll touch and myself, all the other coaches will touch everybody in WA around rugby because we need to grow the game and it's going to be relentless from us to do so. So to give you some insight, since 2017, unfortunately, the rug was pulled out from underneath them. Uh, as a result of that, and people probably don't quite realise that the, the, the performance level of the premier competition decreased slightly and, and, the, and, and, and therefore we've got to increase that so that we can create a pathway to WA, to, to Western Force. So what we're doing is we're bringing in a third tier competition so that boys can step from club land into third tier into Super Rugby because the gap is, is, is quite large. So that, that's one point. Around the foreign players, um, when I signed, there was quite a few spots that were available in the Western Force. Uh, now, that's not by, that's what happens. You know, unfortunately, there's a big turnover. There was... Um, an enormous number of retirements of all the cap players. Um, so there was a lot more um, I didn't expect in terms of players we needed to fill. Now, in April or May of, of that year, you, you're not usually got a lot of rugby players free, so we've got to make sure we pick the right ones for the future of our team. Now, you talk about the future of Western Australian rugby. Now, the easy way would be to get really experienced older guys. But what's the problem with that, Ando? They leave or retire after a season or two or they get injured. Good, smart man. So, okay, so what's the other approach that we can do? Uh, invest in the youth and the academy players, but accept the losses in the short to medium term. Another smart comment. So, exactly what we had to do. Because if you're looking at that um, rugby age group between 24 and 30, they're going to be taken. All right? So what are we going to go for? We're going to go for 30 and above. Okay, you need a couple of those because you need some experience. But if we have too many, then they all retire at the same time and we lose all our rugby brain. 
So therefore, the average age of our squad, I think, is 22 or 23. Like I mentioned before, we've got 21-year-old Tidehead, 19-year-old Lucid, 22-year-old Caller. Like, they're all young. George Pullman's 20 in the backs. Now, they're playing Super Rugby. Now, as a result of that, we're going to get some inconsistency. But is it the right decision for the long-term future of the force to win Super Rugby? Yes, it is. So we've got to go young and we've got to coach them and we've got to make them and we've got to build them and we've got to give every inch of our time to help grow those boys. And we're going to, they're going to be wallabies there. They're going to be wallabies in those names I just mentioned. Are they wallabies yet? No, they're not. What happened in the weekend? They got to play 12 of them. Good learning opportunity for them. Should we have beaten them? Yes, we should have. And I won't let them away from it. We lost it. So we shouldn't have. Um, they're getting to play All Blacks. 19-year-old Lucid Marley, who's a local boy here. He played two All Blacks in two games. So now, now let's go back. You also mentioned about local. When are we going to say see more WA rugby talent? I tell you when when they're good enough. I'm not picking someone into pro rugby into pro sport because of the car they drive, the state they are in. Look, it's just not going to happen. And the mistake we made here, and I had this conversation with some coaches a while back. They said to me, "Why haven't you picked so and so? He was player of the you know da 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 da." da. And the coach that was tell, talking to me was an ex Chiefs player. And I said to him, so can you tell me where in the Chiefs squad you'd pick him? Oh, I wouldn't. <laughs> oh. So why am I? Why am I? But we're not a charity. You've got to earn the right. You've got to earn the jersey. You've got to be good enough. Now, in my opinion, there are some boys coming through in WA Rugby who are going to be brilliant. There's some great kids coming through the academy and we're blooding a heap of them right now. However... The mistake would have been to go for the easy kill and bring in 33-year-olds and 32 and pay them heaps of money. And, and, and But we're going to have the same problem we're in now. They retire out and there's no long term. So you're talking about Sam Spink and Gareth. They're young. Sam Spinky's two-year contract. Who's to say he doesn't stay for five? Anybody who's in our environment needs to add. They can't delete. So every one of those foreign players right now, what are you thinking of Spinky? I mean, what do you think of Spinky and what do you think of Zach? I have been massively impressed with Spinky. I had him in my fantasy team, actually, and he was getting me some good points. But he is just a real hard runner and has looked really strong both in attack and D. Really, really great at outside, outside of Hamish. So I've been impressed. And Zach, how many, see what, four or five tries for the season now? He's He's been awesome. Now, don't get me wrong. That those two can't play for the Wallabies at this point. Now, Sam Spink's still only young. He's only 22. Now, he can stay here. Why don't I have him in WA for the next five or six years? Why is his family not growing up in WA and his kids playing for the Western Force? So I think you've also got to understand Western Australia as a state. Now, now Western Australia is very... I've, I'm, I've lived in Sydney where you boys are, and I know rugby really well over there. What I didn't know and what I've learned is about WA. WA is a melting pot. We have Kiwis, South Africans, English, Irish, Australian. I tell you, there's a, it's a, because they come here for work, lifestyle, all of those things. So we're relatively reflective of our environment and that we're a bit of a melting pot in, in some people. Now, we're still meeting the ARU criteria of foreign players. We're not breaking that. And do I want to bring through more Australians? Yes. However, in our Ford pack, we've got 22 of 25 are Australian qualified. Yes, we have a few more in the backs, but we also have a heap of Australian backs. So the mistake is that you get fixated on three guys that are adding great things to our environment and helping develop the guys that are here. 
for the future and hopefully will stay. So even Gareth, oh, don't get me wrong, I'm trying to keep him. Uh, Spinky, <laughs> trying to keep him long term. Um, you talked about Raboni. Why can't Raboni play? Like, uh, define to me what local means to you. Is Matt Hodgson local? He was originally Eastern State, wasn't he, before he moved over to WA, sort of playing for the force? Okay, is he a Western Australian rugby superstar? Yeah, without a doubt. He's the heart and blood of the force. About Western Australian as it comes. All right, thank you. All right, so Dane Halapetti. <laughs> Glad we're telling you the right answers. <laughs> Dane, Dane Halapetti, is he, is he, is he uh, local? Yes, he is. Okay, he's born in Australia, came over, uh, sorry, born in South Africa, came over uh, from South Africa as a teenager. So what I'm saying is, mm. don't get me wrong, we're, we are a different beast in that we're quite, a, it's, it, the community here is made up of a whole lot of different people. I don't I don't buy into giving somebody a jersey for free just because they're from here. They've got to earn the right. And that's the message to all my boys. You earn the right. You ain't getting anything for free. And therefore, we've got to grow the game as pro sport. Um, do we have a heap of local boys? Yeah, we do. Like Marley being 19, I loved having his dad in the sheds. He's a great man. He'll be a, he'll be a wallaby if we do our job. Sifa, like, yeah, you know, he's 21. Uh, he'll be a wallaby if we do our job. So we've got a lot of things we've got to do. We've got to grow. However, we are the youngest Super Rugby team. There's no doubts around that. And why are we doing that? Because we want to look at the future for Western Australian rugby. We've got to open our doors. We've got to grow the coaches. We've got to open our doors. We've got to give opportunities to club boys to help to help them get better. So we're going to add a third-tier competition. NRC is gone from Australian rugby, so we have to create our own. Mm-hmm. We're going to create our own. Why not? Why? Because they need a pathway. Why would you open the door from some poor kid, throw him into Super Rugby, let him fail and throw him back out again? There's no success for that. So we're going to, we're going to go and play the Cheetahs in South Africa two games, two games back here. We're talking to other teams, and we're going to have that every year, and we're going to bring through guys that give them a level of – because I loved NRC as a coach, and I loved coaching it, and I loved the players that came through it. And, and you forget, I was at the Waratahs at, at one point. And in 2018, a lot of the guys that played us on the weekend, I had the pleasure of coaching, 18, 19. Yep. Now that's five years ago. So they've had five years of Super Rugby experience before they came up against some of my babies on the weekend. <laughs> so that's right. Um, you know, so there's so long story short, I love the people I've met in WA around rugby, and there's a lot of South Africans, and there's a lot of Kiwis, and there's a lot of Australians. And it's a massive melting pot. But my job is much bigger, and our job here is much bigger than one team. I've got to try and break me back into the state. It's the best game in the world. You said it at the start. And there's a lot of AFL posts over here, a lot of soccer. And there's a lot of things that fatigue me and I battle against around the fact that I love rugby. Uh, however, our <laughs> job. We have to do all of that, and 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 that's important that we do because the mistake is um, that we just think about one team. Now, in terms of captaincy, just the question was a good one at the start. Now, my question for you: in that team that Gareth became captain, and who would you name captain? <laughs> uh, as soon as you started talking about that, I was like, "Crap! I should get the team list up." Um, that's your but... that's your rule, and can't remove anyone without yeah, giving a replacement. The, the, the law, if if. If you're going to replace somebody, then who are you replacing them with? Yeah. Uh, I'm totally just going to have to just so you tell me. Now. But potentially, I'd be looking at someone like Hamish Stewart, probably as the captain, yeah. um, just in terms of the experience okay. that he's had with the Reds. Good man. Across. Good, good, good. 
So what, So the reason we didn't name Hamish captain is because he'd moved into 10 that week. And as you can mm-hmm. imagine, as a first five, like I mentioned before, you have an enormous amount on your plate around game management, calling systems and structures. So if I added captaincy to him, I think I would have crushed him. Yep. He wouldn't have been able to do the number okay. one job. Now, don't get me wrong, he was captain in the weekend at lay notice. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's played three or four or five games with them. He knows the structures and systems now. There's not as much pressure on him. So that's the why, and he was, and he obviously was starting at twelve versus ten, where it's new for him. So, yeah. so sometimes the mistake we make is is that we add something to somebody that um, affects their performance. So therefore, the reason I didn't add it to Hamish at that time was because if I added the captaincy to him, it would have affected uh, affected his ability to perform in his position for too much. Too much. That's the why. Who else you got for me? Yep, Tom Robinson. Yeah, he was one. he's an option as well, yep. but Wallaby cap. I mean, you don't have too many props being uh captains, although I guess Alan Awatoa and James. Why Sir, not? Um maybe buck that trend. Because yeah, they're heads up the someone's bum for half the time. Yeah. And Throbber does so much work on the field that he doesn't talk a whole lot in huddles, and we know that because you just gotta remember every time we train there's an opportunity for our guys to trial. Like, and every time so so we're not about just the Saturday. We have Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, where we run these guys and we put them in situations. We put them under pressure. We see how they communicate. We see how they react to stress. We see how they react to time. We see how much they can breathe. Exactly what you said, Throbber's got his head in the hole a lot of the time. So he's not really in a position to be able to give what I do in the next minute conversations. He's got to mm-hmm. breathe. Um, so that's why not him. So, so to give you an idea around that process, I have to make the decision around what is best for the team. Not what is um, best in social media. Yep. If I was talking about what's best in social media, then, you know, I would have done this interview with my top off, surely. <laughs> Get a few more likes. <laughs> it's a challenge we have uh, every week, uh, mate. Virginia Diego, every week. Um, but <laughs> so, so therefore, you know, everything that we do as a coaching group and a leadership group has to start with what is best for the team. So, you know, we looked at the, we went through the team list and we went, uh, Jimmy Williams, he's a 22 year old caller. He's our vice captain. Can't put it on him. Mm. Can't put it on him. Mm. Um, uh, Throbber, for the reason you said. Everyone else is babies. Okay. Hamish, he's 10. No, can't put it on him. Chase, he's too far away at 15. So ultimately, it came down to. Gareth in his A games and all of his um, high school and everything else has been a captain. And you see that in training. You see him in the huddle. You see him talk about the next minute. Uh, he's really good at it. Uh, and all the other leaders that we currently have that would be captains like Sitch and Wellesley and Falau, they're all not there. So, so the reason he became captain is because it was best for the team. It's best for the people on the field. Um, now, did I make that decision? Uh, as coaches, we were like, this is who we think. So then we go to the leadership group and we say, without it, like I did to you, hey, who do you think? And he was, that was the decision that they decided. And then we all were united in that decision. So there's a process you go through for it. But what is best for the team on the field was him. So, oh, he's on a short-term contract. Well, the short-term contract doesn't help the team on the field in this moment at this time. Yep. So that's the why. Yeah, that's brilliant, mate, because thank you for that, because it was one of the really big questions that people were asking because they just don't have the insight into the process and the team. Um, so getting that level mm-hmm. of explanation is really, really insightful. So thank you. I think, Mitch, you had a question you wanted yeah. to jump in with? 
Yeah, I've got a question. So you were talking before around some of the challenges you found when you first arrived in WA and, and took over as head coach of the force. What Did you have any plans that you sort of wanted to do with the team when you signed and how many of those changed when you got there and kind of realized the task that you did have on your hands? Yeah, a lot changed. Yeah, a lot changed. Uh, it changed, um, you know, uh, there was a there was a large number of squad uh, positions that needed to be filled. Now, whether that rightly or wrongly, that's just forced upon us from retirement to people going overseas. This is before, so after I signed, I'm then aware, okay, we need to find X amount of players. And I thought that's quite a lot of players. So my first uh, conversation with Hodjo, who's a great man and a legend of WA rugby, is who's, a, you know, and he, he that, that you've got to remember, we've got five guys in Clubland at the moment. They all give feedback, who's available, who can do what, what stage are they? I don't know. I'm sitting in Japan. I'm still learning. Yeah. Um, we need to find a lot of players. And I said to them, okay, we can't, let, we can't end up in that spot again. So, so we'll fix that. Hence, we went for the younger talent. Like Felix is 22 as well, the other lock, you know, so... Jimmy Williams, all young. Um, so we decided that for the long-term success of Western Australian rugby, that we need to bite the bullet and uh, choose cement rather than pay uh, older guys. Yep. Um, so that, that was a big one for me. I then landed and I watched some club rugby and I discovered that some of our players were not standing out as much as they should in Clubland. So um, that showed me a mentality that we maybe were accepting um, average. So I addressed that day one. My expectation of our players now is that at Clubland, people look at them and say, well, there's a super rugby player. And that wasn't happening, so we need to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I learned that uh, uh, coaches in, in WA are, are screaming out for more uh, as much as they can. So we open our doors to everybody and we share everything all the time. Anytime anyone can come in and watch us. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered that at under-14s, uh, the cup competition, Aaron Moore played Thornley, and I thought, God, there's a lot of talent there. Where's it going? Where's it going between 14 and us? Where are we losing it? And that pathway thing became really relevant around um, the drop of Super Rugby out of the competition. We, we lost a lot of pathway. So we need to rebuild that. And the, and the club's doing that brilliantly with Goody and the academy system. But I want those Aaron Y under 14s and that Thorny under 14 boys to come through into rugby as well. Um, and I talked to the... Uh, Thornley coach, and I asked, when was the last time we got out to you? Seven years ago. That's not good enough. I said, come to us yep. this week. So he brought seven players, and they and they brought seven players, and, and they all came in, and they spent a day with us, and I loved it. They were great kids and, and great people. Um, and we've got to do more of that. We've got to do more of that. We've got to look. We've got to be in the community as much as we can, all of us, all of the time. Um and then some of the coaches came in. Like I said, you've had probably 40 coaches through. And um, the best time is for them to come in and just watch. And they can take what they like or they don't like or, you know, they can learn and get better. I'm a big one for opening. I think for me, uh, at one point, I, I flew to New Zealand to do some of that upskilling and development. And I think that we can do it better in Australia. Um, and if I can help coaches come through, that's what I'll do. So we're going to do a lot of that. And that will grow the game here, right? It'll grow the game um, and that's not so, just something that's that's prevalent in WA. That's everywhere in Australia rugby at the moment. I think that that whole generation of upskilling the coaches and the next generation is a massive focus that we need to to really improve on. Well, well. So one of the things you mentioned earlier was, um, you know, we look at the squad, we think of short term success. Do you think of that now? 
Not from how you've been presenting it, no. Um, it, it definitely seems like there's a broader view, even if maybe the player signings aren't at the level that maybe you would hope mm. them to be, or at least from the outside it might look to be, um, just in terms of length of contracts right. and the like. So now we've got a three-year, four-year plan. We're re-signing guys in the 25 now that I'm in. So we're fixing that. You talked about Hordo, long-term contract in front of him. Uh, Raboni, we're talking about him. Like, so we're trying to keep all these guys. Now, there's things around that, their family, kids, whatever else that you've got to fight to get people into WA, depending on who they are and what they're doing, and that's a different challenge also. Um, we've got to help upskill the, the the referees, the club land, all the stuff that happens over here, meet the people. We've got to excite them about rugby again, so therefore we have to develop a game or a type of game that people want to see. And there's another question for you. So, Ando and, and Mitch, what kind of, kind of rugby are you, are you seeing in us in the first six game? Mitch, I've answered all the questions. It's your turn. <laughs> Off you go, oh, I mean, some of, some of the games has been like a willingness to just attack, out, out and attack, keep the ball alive, which has been exciting to see. But I wouldn't say that that's um, been an element of all games. Yeah, yeah you're right. So, so we need to be showing attacking pitches all the time, even if we're not. So, and, but we, to be able to attack, we need to upskill them, catch pass running lines. So there's a lot of work on that. What you'll see in the first part when you upskill somebody or increase their skill level is you'll see that sometimes they will overplay because they get confident on catch pass and running lines. And therefore the frustration is they'll make a line break and they'll overplay. Part of the upskilling is that they'll overplay. Now, once we start to reel that in and help them with the decisions around when to offload or when to pass versus when to just play the ruck. So in the weekend, we didn't play the ruck. We got advantage in a five-man mall, beautiful, and then we kick the ball away, zero phase. Waratahs make no tackles. Like, it's just, okay, boys, so here's two malls. We got advantage, and then instead of playing the strike play, we kick the ball away. We're chasing false goal. How many tackles did the Waratahs make when we kick the ball away? Zero. Okay, so we need to build phase pressure. So there's little things around that stuff that we're constantly working on uh, in our team. But you're right, we're trying to play attacking rugby. We need to increase our defence. We're leaking too many points. How do we do that? More repeatability, faster off the ground uh, in the D-line. We need more dominant shots. Okay, so our back five at the moment are not the biggest of humans. So, so okay, so what kind of defence do we need to play? We need to chop, we need to get on ball. What are you noticing at the breakdown for us? Mitch again. Bendu? Oh, you've thrown to me? Um... <laughs> I've thrown to you, <laughs> no, mate. I think all teams in this in the in uh, Super Rugby this year are going hard on the ball. Yep, we are too, and we weren't last year. We were the worst in Super Rugby on ball. Mm statistically set piece we were with the worst last year statistically scrum and line at times so uh we're on board so we, we so there's parts of our game that we are trying to grow from um what you would call a lower base into a higher base for us ultimately in the long term to win super rugby now that has to be our goal right um so but the coaches that we have around the team, they've all been, well, most of them have been in situations where they've had to pick up a team that maybe has a lot, of, lot to learn, so therefore they can coach. And that's what we are, my expectation to them is high and hard, and that's what they're doing. So, so that's probably gives you a bit of an insight into us and what we're trying to, trying to do. Yep. When you first arrived at Western Force, you kind of mentioned it briefly, your time before with the Waratahs. What were the key differences or the, um, I guess, First of all, around the setup, how did you? How do the two conferences or the two teams differ in those ways? And and how did you personally find it being obviously the head coach here, whereas you were the attack coach um, or defense coach, assistant coach at the West at the Waratahs? 
Forwards coach, but that's okay. I did so much coach. coach. There we go. We got there in the end. <laughs> you right, coached somebody. Oh, we did a bit of everything. Yeah, I coached them. Um, okay, so Waratahs 2017 was the worst year in Super Rugby for them at that point. So I came in at the end of that. Um, and they'd signed, before I arrived, they'd signed five of my under-20s boys. So Swino, uh, Harry Johnson-Holmes, Cody Walker, Shambik Lavui, uh, I can't remember, there's another couple. So we had a lot of young, so I had to coach and I had to coach hard. Uh, and we played the Stormers first game and Harry Johnson-Holmes got split like a small child. <laughs> uh, uh, because I'd been teaching him to stay in front of the tight end and he decided that he could kick his bum out and try and attack the beast, which was a mistake, and he got split. <laughs> so I walked on the field and he looked at me and he went, and I went. So he learned <laughs> that day that he can't he can't kick his bum out. Now, I looked at him and he looked like an outside flanker next to the beast and kicked off. So uh, I, had, I was lucky enough to be in the, in the fight there, in the grind, um, and... Uh, those boys did really well, and we got to semi-final, which was um, which was great. And the next year we weren't we weren't good. We 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 could have been better. So there's learnings and the things that happened there. Um, what's the differences? Okay, I've got a relatively young squad here again. Um, my wife would like me to take over a squad that's older and easier, um, <laughs> um, so I can actually see it. Uh, but you know what? We knew what we we're walking into here, and. Um, you know, and uh, I love the boys. They're great boys here. Like the boys at the Waratahs I coach, I really enjoyed them. They're great people. Rugby players want to get better at rugby. And my job and the coach's job here is to make them better at rugby so that they can um, be successful. Now, we take it really seriously, probably too seriously at times. Um, and we will work our bums off so that they can be successful. But by the time it gets to them, ideally what you mentioned earlier, Ando, is it's simple. Um, the biggest mistake as a coach is you complicate the simple. Um, mm. If at the end of a training session someone comes up to me and goes, Chrono, that's really easy, I get that, then we've done our job. Because when it starts, it can be quite complicated. Now, when I first arrived in Australia, I saw some sheets of paper that complicated life for me. I looked at it and I went, "That's I'm not bad at rugby and I can't understand what you're asking these boys to do. Um, so we've always got to check ourselves and we've also got to make sure that we simplify life for them. Um, and... You know, and then we've got to help them be successful. We've got to build their confidence and we've got to give them the tools to be successful. Um, at the same time, um, we've got to help the guys that can make it and we've got to make sure that when we're contracting, we're picking people that have the chance to be successful in Super Rugby and not filling a contract because, oh, let's just put that guy into a contract. Well, that's not going to work. Not going to work yeah. for us. It'll work for him, you know. Yeah. Um, well, what you might do, mate, because you've been incredibly... Sorry, I'll just jump in, Simon, just because you have been so incredibly generous with your time. But we do have a bunch of fan questions that we uh, promised our fans that we'd get to as well. I'll ask you one quick personal personal one before we jump into those. Uh, you've spoken previously about how you you can sometimes struggle to manage the the workload by burning the candle too bright and um, or too late and just taking on a workload. It sounds like the task that is in front of you and the force and rugby WAs is massive. How are you coping? How are you managing it as a super coach? And and how are you making sure that uh, you don't burn out in your first season as a full super rugby coach? Okay, so um, you're right. It is a problem for me. Uh, however, right now, um, for, for this club to be successful and to get it where we need to get it to, I need to burn the candle. Um, so 
that's it's just it is what it is. At some point, ideally, we get this club into a position where um, we can be fully functioning and awesome and the best at high performance in every area and win Super Rugby. Um, since I was started coaching at North and then the Tars and then Japan and now here, um, all of those teams have needed that kind of uh, commitment. So I've just got to take it on the chin right now and uh, find time where I can find time. Um, but I think you'll find all the people here, like we've got 12 new staff are in coaching and, and SNC, they're all like-minded. Um, yeah, sometime, at some point we'll breathe. But the, the players don't see that. So the players don't need to live that life. I want the players to be successful on Saturday. I want them to come in and get the minimum in terms of not too much up here. I want to help grow them and make them better. So uh, right now, it, the work-life balance is not that great, Ando. But, um, but we'll get there in the end, mate. We'll get there in the end. When you do find time for yourself, what are some of the interests you like to partake in outside of rugby? Uh, to be honest, a lot of it is, uh, if I can, the first thing that goes for me is usually physical. Like I, because I get so busy, I don't get to exercise myself. Um, and I love, I love uh, to run as long as I'm not tearing calves. And I like to push <laughs> weights because it calms me. So that so anything that can that, that that takes my mind, I have some of my best ideas when I'm either running or pushing weights. So if I can do that, I'll come up with something that will help us. Um, that that too, and then obviously I've got three kids and a wife. So I would like to be everyone. I'd say I'd like to be. I'd like to be a better father when I can be, um, and and help them as much as I help the rugby teams. And uh, you know, I've been in Japan and these kind of things. So, and my wife will often say to me that my patience in rugby here with these boys is way better than it is at home. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I could be a bit of. So, actually, someone said that to me on Monday on on the field when uh, one of our boys made an error that we'd seen before, and I helped fix that. And Wellesley turned to me and said, oh, "You know, you're very patient." And uh, I said, my wife would love to say that to me, but um, so I could be more patient at home and I can be a better teacher at home. So I'd love to do those things better. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I hear that massively. I'm a teacher of uh, mostly 15 to 18 year old boys and my two young kids are sometimes expect them to be an 18 year old boy. Uh, so yes. I hear that. Yes. <laughs> All right. What we'll do here is we're going to go into what we call the locker room. It's going to be a bunch of fan questions and let's keep this short and sharp. Um, the, the goal isn't to have a long discussion over each of these points, maybe a statement or two, and then we'll move on into the next question because um, we really appreciate the time you've sent us or given us. So James Henry asks, is anything going to happen in the off season with the coaching staff and players over at Montpellier? If not, is that an opportunity? Yeah, it's a definite opportunity. We've got to pull on all the resources. Um, we would hope to get over there at some point as coaches and learn what we can learn. Every coach here will go on um, professional development and, and Montpellier will be one of those options if we feel like that's the best place for that development. Cool. Great. Hugh Tyndall, how has his how has your experience to date in Super Rugby compared to previous coaching in a shoot shield or Japan? And is there anything you couldn't anticipate being a challenge that has presented itself? Um, uh, Western Australia is, is definitely, there's a lot I've learned over here around the rugby and, the, and like I mentioned to you around the history of the rugby here, so that's been ongoing. Um, but um, I'm lucky enough to have had experiences previously that where teams have been at this level and helping them to get better. So so I've seen a lot of this before. I know the path we need to take and I'm pretty strong around that. 
Cal Ingram has asked, um, how much emphasis is being placed on Western Australian schools slash junior pathways and is Sevens being used as a vehicle to engage the talent in the regional areas and promote the sport in WA? I think the schools and pathways is massive. Like I mentioned to you about Newman, that just, that broke my heart, you know, hearing that they've got, they actually have posts just out the back somewhere, but not up. Uh, <laughs> I would love to start getting more rugby posts up in WA and the way to do that is to grow the game, make people love it and help as many people as we can. And then in the background, the organization is working on processes, systems and structures. Easy. Um, the next one from Simo, uh, he's spoken about what we talked about in terms of player retention contracts and stuff like that. So I won't, I won't cover that again, but he does also ask, are there any uh, concerns or takeaways from potential preseason overloading that you or the um, strength and conditioning team have learned to ensure that players are coming into the competition in peak physical form? Yeah, interestingly, in terms of review, not loading, not any of those things. The one thing for us that we definitely need to take away is, um, uh, we, we, we've been unfortunately in a position where we've had to change fields significantly during the preseason. So we've gone from hard field to soft field. To, to, so we've had to, due to the facility um, deal at the moment, we've gone from UWA, UWA resoil it, we go to another field, we go to another field. Like I said, we train at Newman. So we were going from hard surface to soft surface to hard surface. As a result of that, that's where the Achilles come from. So what it means is, okay, we need to be better around high performance and we need to have the same field all of the time with the same surface. Uh, that's part of it. It's a small part of it, but that's that's probably one of the big ones. Yep, cool. And Andy asks, what are some of the lessons and the experiences that you have been able to take away from what was a pretty challenging tour over in New Zealand? Uh, what we learned is we can fight. Um, and by that, what I mean I can teach technical tactical, but I can't give them a fight all the time. So the boys fought the 86 minutes. Great learning. Uh, we played a lot of All Blacks, and therefore some of our young boys got experiences and feelings around what it feels like to be a loose head against a tight head, what it feels like to play that type of speed, high ball uh, and play time. The other thing we learned um, about our boys is that we need to be more consistent and control territory and position better. So those are key learnings for us. And how do we do that and what do we do? That's part of what we're talking about as a team. Um, and just some of them been on tour, like some of them hadn't been on tour ever. So, you, you know, COVID, uh, under 17, under 16, has got cut for two years. So they all got stuck in WA. They didn't get to go on tours or do any of that. Uh, Australian under 20s, we all got stuck in WA. They didn't get to do that for two years. So all these pathways that we were supposed to have haven't really been in existence. So some of those boys, that was their first tour. So we were teaching, what do you do on your off day? You know, what do you do when there's a game at 7.30 at night? How, how does your day look? How do I help you mentally? Um, you know, so so we took a lot of that stuff. Um, but at the same time for us, you know, we went over there and we scored, I don't know, five tries against the Highlanders, five try, three tries against the Blues and five tries against the Hurricanes or whatever. So, okay, we can score points. So our attack's starting to work. Uh, we've just got to now stop leaking. The drop kickoff has asked, uh, what have you seen of the Perth club rugby scene and how does it compare to the likes of the Shoot Shield? Yeah, I've seen a lot of Perth club rugby um, and I've got a number of coaches I know really well here that I talk to on a weekly basis about the games. Um, it's slower in terms of, it, so if you're comparing it to Shoot Shield, it's slower Like in terms of the speed of the game is slower, it gets slowed down a little bit. Um, there's some great stuff in it though and there's some good, really good coaches here that I love engaging with, I think they're brilliant. 
So, and I think it will only get stronger as I know that they're in a process of they've cut down from 13 to 11 and they're going down to 10 and that will um, sharpen the sword. Also, we're putting a lot more of our boys back in there as often as we can. That will also sharpen the sword and increase the competition. Um, and we've got a lot of academy boys also that we're that are here going into those competitions. So Justin Landon, we just pulled out of academy this week to train with us. Uh, he's going really well. So um, I see a lot in in the in the club land. However, can we grow it? Can we make it better? Yeah, we can. Nick Wasili have asked, what did you learn um, from Steve Hansen whilst in Japan? From Steve, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Steve uh, called me yesterday actually. Steve, um, uh, a lot. Look, I learned. He was a big one into my work-life balance. Um, he 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 does better in that area than I do. So um, and but also just around skill set, mindset, structure. I'm going to give you. A, I'm going to share this story with you, um, which is an unusual one. I'm hope, I hope he's okay with me sharing it. Steve <laughs> is the most successful coach in world sport. Right now, he was also, and he tells me this, he was also the most unsuccessful coach. For Wales in terms of number of losses in a row and he said to me one day and he's a great man because he walked in on something there that is out of his control and he worked every day to try and make it better and and and, um, and learned a lot from that and he was he shared some of those learnings with me and and I was privileged enough to listen to them but the, the best story he ever told me he said I was the most I was the, the second most hated man in the world between Osama bin Laden and uh, who's the other horrible terrorist back then that's been uh, Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein? Oh, God. Yeah. I, I was ranked, yeah. I was ranked, he said, I was ranked number two. And he said, both of them um, have, have gone there and I'm still here. So, um, what I learned from him is he's got amazing resilience, is a smart uh, man around team and environment, uh, can handle. Uh, all of that stuff in his stride is a brilliant um, uh, husband to his wife Tash, and there's, so there's so much to him. And I'm like I said, I'm lucky enough to have a lot of good chats and stuff with him, and we still talk and and, and yarn. So uh, it's hard to put into to words what you learn from him, but lots, lots that'll help me in the future. Mate, I'm not sure how many rugby fans are going to be happy with you humanising Steve Hansen after him being kind of arch enemy number one for so many years uh, as coach of the All Blacks. But <laughs> I really appreciate that that element of um, broadening what we know of him. We, we actually put out some questions to the Sea of Blue fan base on um, Facebook. So they, the next few questions are directly from Key Force fans, which is fantastic. Um, so Scott Elsley has asked, uh, why do we keep box kicking? When I watch our games, the other team gets the ball back the majority of the time. We end up under pressure in our own 50 and not long after in our own 22. I get booting it in long in a tactical duel, but box kicking generally leads to pressure we didn't need. Can't we hang on to the pill? Yeah, look, it's interesting because you've got to break the field down um, into what parts of the field you want to attack from. So in the weekend, you would have seen we ran first one from the Waratahs and we went wide on them because we thought they were short defensively. What we're finding with some teams is between the 22 and the 35, if you are going to, like Gareth's got a really good contestable box kick and Zach's been really good at getting it back and so is TP and Manasa. So what that does is it brings their backfield forward and gives us a chance to get the ball and then attack off broken field play because they're never set defensively. The problem is if we get in a big, long kicking duel, if we just kick it straight down the field and it goes straight to hand, it allows them to come back to the 40 and put a contestable bomb up or control the corners. 
So, and we don't, like in terms of uh, the guys in our team, we don't have massive big boots on us. So therefore, if you're sitting on your 20, outside your 22 to your 35, we're not, we're not kicking it into the corners. We're getting stuck, you know, in, in any cookie, unless we find grass, we're in trouble. Um, and you only want to play three or four phases inside your 40 unless you're starting to open them up. Otherwise, you just end up turning the ball over because it's a really easy place for you to get on ball. So box kicking is a part of the game, and we have been doing you know some of it if we get stuck in that zone. Brilliant. Okay, well, thank you. And I'm sure that uh, Scott will appreciate that. James Henry has asked, if you could have the first half of the season over, what would you do, what would you do differently? Um, great question. What would we do differently? Uh, I would like to have somehow prevented some of those guys from from not being on our field uh, and keep them. I would like to, you know what I'd love to have had the same team on the field for three or four games in a row for cohesion. That would have been that would have been something I'd like to do differently. A little bit out of our hands, uh, and like I mentioned to you, some of those things come about from um, conditional changes, but. Um, yeah, that would be that would be the thing I would have liked to have done differently. Brilliant. Rob Hill asks if you could bring in anybody in the world, player or staff, who would you choose and why? Jeez, that's a brilliant question. Um, it's fun, isn't it? It's what if situation. Player, it is a what if situation. Uh, player or staff? Um, well, I'll tell you what, I'd like to bring in. Uh, Oh Jesus! It's a loaded one. That one. You get me to it. You get me to it. I know. I was thinking that as, um, as you were thinking. Okay, here's one for you. Um, I think that our boys would learn a lot from. I was lucky enough to coach Kieran Reed in Japan, um, and we've talked about him coming over at some point in terms of leadership and talking to our boys. Um, him, Hooper, those kind of guys. So I'm talking in like a category of people. Um, who who would add, you know, rugby brains and help guide our boys on top of just the coaching stuff. Like having more of those guys um, would be really great. Uh, otherwise, I'd be looking for somebody like Malcolm Marks or some massive piece of meat that I could throw into contact. So, yeah. <laughs> how's that? Peter yeah. Stephens. He's an absolute. Michael Hooper's off contract with the Waratahs next year. Does that open oh, any, any doors for you? <laughs> Oh, I've always told him, hey, 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 I've always sent him pictures of the beach. Don't you worry about that. He's, the surfing's um, pretty good over there, manly. so that'll help. Oh, yeah. Hey, he loves he loves Manly. I said to him, I'll house it when he goes away over there. So he can come over here and use my house. I'll go use his for a bit, just for a bit of fun, bit of a get him used to WA, you reckon? Yeah, no, he's good. <laughs> Brilliant. And then final sea of blue question. Uh, Nigel Beavis asks, uh, what improvements have you made this year compared to previous years of coaching? I think that's looking at you personally as a coach. How have you improved this year? Um, you know, I think, uh, have I, look, I've learned, the, the great thing here is I, I feel like we've got a great coaching staff um, and I really enjoyed Jimmy, Jimmy Duffy at Iconic uh, Mark Ozich, obviously, and Wills Young. So we've got quite a unique coaching staff. So it gives me a lot of opportunities to challenge them around their roles and what they're doing. And, and we get to, because Steve challenged me all the time. It was, it was you know, a great uh, learning from him. He'd challenge anything, no matter what you're doing. Uh, challenge the way I drive home. So, um, you know, just being able to challenge them and, and test them and, and, and drive them. I'm learning 
how to get the best out of them. And I think they'll be amazing coaches for Western Australia for a long, you know, for a period of time. I think you might have already answered this last question, but um, Hugh96 asks, is Manly still the best suburb in all of Sydney? <laughs> Hugh96, sounds like Hugh Sinclair. No, um, Manly's <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, no, the, 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 yeah. Hey, I, like we, I was there for eight or nine years and my wife initially, my now wife, we flew over and I was like, oh, I'm going to do one year. You know, this is 2006. So, you know, I, would have, I was a young buck. Um, and uh, yeah, we stayed for quite a long time. So, and that's because it is ridiculous. Like a lot of WA beaches, unbelievable. You like it on holiday the whole time. Slightly different to Christchurch, funny enough. Um, at, the time, <laughs> at the time, not as many beaches. Yeah, I can imagine. Not as many, yeah. not as many. Um, all right, yeah. let's finish up on this because it is a good thing to be looking forward into the future. You mentioned earlier on within our chat the third tier that you're wanting to implement and there was the announcement from the Western Force on, when was it, a couple of days ago? Uh, yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Um, about a partnership with the Cheaters and a two-game two tour over in, I think it's Bloemfontein, and then two games back in Perth. Uh, talk to us about what this third tier is and why it is so important uh, moving forward for the force. If we want to grow the game, we need to create genuine pathways for our players. So, and there needs to be a pathway between club rugby and super rugby. Otherwise, we are setting people up for failure. Mm -hmm. The difference between club and super is you have less time and space to execute your skills, right? So therefore, if we add a third tier in, these people who I have in Super Rugby right now who are learning to go on a tour, learning what to do on their day off, learning what it looks like to play at 7.30 at night, they all experience that um, before Super Rugby. Also, South African team, different different uh, rugby, big bits of meat running straight at you. So um, for us at the Western Force, the, the management here and, and Tony and Matt and myself, and I know the board are on board here too, um, along with Andrew Forrest, we feel like it is critical for us to grow the game in Australia and specifically in Western Australia and open up that, that third tier of rugby for our boys and, and to get experience and opportunities to get better at rugby. So, um, and, and I, I think it's an, a, a brilliant initiative and critical for us. If um, the Western Force have been the first team that's really come out and announced their plans, does that mean that Rugby Australia itself isn't looking at some kind of, I don't know, Super AU or some kind of comp to fill that void? Uh, not that I've heard of. Um, and we can't wait. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we can't. Yeah, Look, we'll take it from and, and, and people can people can blame and throw. They aren't doing this. They aren't doing that. We aren't growing. No, well, why don't we just do it? Eh? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, yep, take the initiative. Absolutely love it. Well, uh, you have been an absolute legend and wonderful guest. Thank you so much for your time, Simon, and the willingness for us to ask some sometimes curly questions, uh, which I was a little bit nervous <laughs> no. kind of writing beforehand, but you've been a gentleman. Thank you so much. And uh, Mitch, anything to grow the game. I love it. I love it that you guys are doing a podcast to grow rugby. So anytime. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much and have a wonderful week. Best of luck for the weekend. Thank you, team. All the best.